What's up, guys? Here's Mason with better audio than last weekend. I am here with Zach. How you doing, pal? Yeah, I'm doing all right so far. Um, got to sit at a desk all day today, so that was exciting. Mason, how are you? Man, I was sitting at the dog track. I was betting my life savings away. and um, Not again. <laughs> not again. I was not doing that. I was sitting at home. Um, Ever since you moved to Kentucky, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm got close to the derby and you start gambling on racing. <laughs> I'm obsessed with racing of all kinds. Snails. <laughs> A little scruffy should have had it last week. <laughs> Man, unbelievable. Man. So with actual nitrous. Who would have oh, expected? You know? oh. <laughs> I cannot, man. Cannot. I watched that movie the other day. It was gosh, Did you really? I did. It popped Honestly? up and I was like, oh, I gotta watch this. I think I was with the uh, my fiance's uh, nephews and niece, and we were just having the time of our lives. Honestly, a very underrated film, in my opinion. It is. It is. Anyway, welcome <laughs> back, everybody. We are getting back into the Forged series. Zach, what's what's the point? All right. what, what do we be forging? <laughs> Swords. <No. laughs> so the Forge series, the purpose of it, as you guys know, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. So we are trying to work on building some decks that we, before the Forge series, really didn't know anything about. Like we might have seen it as an archetype option, but that was the conclusion of what we knew about it. We are taking two separate decks that are of similar power level-ish um as well no um so i'm playing earth machine which is known to have like at least semi-reasonable success yeah i'd probably put that mm, the bottom of tier two top like, of rogue something Maybe like that yeah. yeah like like i could steal a game here and again mm -hmm. uh mason mason tell us what deck you're playing here buddy i'm playing s force <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's really bad. Um, <laughs> There's nothing the tier else three. Everything else is the best you can uh, give it. Yeah, not so. not meta relevant at all. But people are extremely creative, and uh, so it's been a lot of fun to play. And uh, it is a very interesting mm, control strategy. That's the word. That's the mason's goal is to build up into a link boss that banishes on attacking and it's it's a cool idea it's really really neat especially if that's happening during the damage step not much can stop that which is insane yeah How, it's non-targeting uh, removal that's right it's like there's not much better in today's game now he just has to find ways to cheat it out a lot yep, yep. So, <laughs> so mason tell us what in the world is our topic for today last week we covered side deck what do we have this week? Today, couples therapy. You and your opponent. Uh, all the feelings. <laughs> we are going to try to do our best to teach you how to read your opponent during the game. Now, it's kind of a big subject, but we're going to try to break it down in the best way we can. Zach, go ahead, bud. Um, if you guys watch YouTubers uh, like MBT, and people like that, they do a really, really good job of saying out loud, they're thinking while they're doing, they say, okay, so this happened, then this happened, then this happened, which means they have this card in hand. Like that is an incredible ability to be able to say 100% for sure that your opponent has a particular card. That's just a lot of power in today's game. It allows you to know how to set up and whatever like that. 
So that is exactly what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Mason, any words before we get into it? No, let's do this thing. All right. Again, welcome back, everyone, <laughs> to class. Welcome, everyone. For, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I think one of these times we need to do the um, the opening to uh, Airplane. I'll be oh, red, the, I'll be uh, red the... line, you be blue line. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you haven't seen that movie, it's really hilarious. Please go watch it with all the free time you have. Mason, uh, there's a several points when it comes to going and watching your opponent and seeing how they like to react to game, gameplay, game state, everything like that. What are, I guess, some phases that we're going to, what are the points we're going to be splitting into today? All right. There's three major points that I want you to get. If you hear nothing else out of this mess, or uh, excuse me, lesson. <laughs> um, <laughs> this mess of a podcast. <laughs> um, number one, how does your opponent start the turn? And I know that probably sounds weird, like they draw a card, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. Um, oh, they draw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, do they have a cool uh, phrase, slogan? Do they, play the, do they play the Mission Impossible theme behind their playing and turn oh, it off during your turn? Quite that literally, was... <laughs> only if it's Spiral. Um, <laughs> but no, with um, whenever you're playing your opponent, whenever they start the turn, what are they doing out of the gate, right? Um, we'll, we'll get more into that. Next thing, point number two, how many times are they adding cards to hand? How resource intensive is their um, game plan? And, and how often are they replenishing those resources by adding more cards back to hand? Mm -hmm. And lastly, board setup. Are they gonna smack you like grand maju or are they going to uh negate you like dragon link right so let's roll into it zach with starting a turn um this is a little less focused um on how they go first necessarily right because we have a little section for that later starting a turn matters if your opponent is going second after you've built your board right Right. So what are you what are you watching there? So as consequence of the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, your job is to set up some type of board when you go first that your opponent has to break. So that's where the effective phrase break your board comes from. What will happen is you need to pay attention. How are they breaking your board? Mm -hmm. OK. And what that means is, are they using lightning storm as an example? Are they going to open up with Harpy's Feather Duster, or whatever like that. Some form of breaking your board based on what they see in front of them. Now, many people will go and play things like Harpy's Feather Duster, and if they have money for it, they'll play Lightning Storm, right? Because it allows so many opportunities to go and destroy your opponent's field for very little cost. Now, hopefully, you've created a board that has some version of negation, so you can prevent that. But sometimes that just doesn't happen. That's part of the game, right? So when they start the turn, how do they break the board is really, really important. 
right? And after they break the board, what are they trying to get into? So sort of the introductory phase of their turn. How are they going to get into it? How are they doing this, then the other? All that to say, when you start a turn, is the goal to go and build a board first or is it to break the board, right? Within their combo line, can they just play through the negation you have? That's another thing. Or are they going to try to get rid of the stuff on field and then build their board, right? So those are kind of the two options that they have. Something else is uh, how reliable how reliant are they on the normal summon, right? Mm -hmm. So many people talk about uh, how they can go and they normal summon this, go into this, go into this, go into this. Specifically, there's the example of invoked players that play invoked literally whatever they're feeling that day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anything. So when that happens, there's sort of the, the trope that goes on where you normal summon Alistair, you get invocation, you play invocation, you get whatever, you get Mechaba, you get whatever else after that. Yeah. And that's the play. And that's all right. That's, that's a fine play. It works. It's annoying. We've seen it for six years. I don't need to keep talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> all that anger is just coursing. <laughs> so all that to say, watch how they start a turn. Right. And yeah. sometimes people look at their hands and they'll say, man, this is not great at all. And they'll have to go and they'll play something. They'll say, I'll normal summon this. And you need to decide specifically, is it a good Ash target to go and hit that instead of something that might be later in the combo, for example, with Dragon Link. All right. You can normal summon just about anything in there and it doesn't matter. And you're going to get your starter, which is really Striker Dragon. All right. Striker Dragon allows you to go and pull Blue Sector Launch from deck. You get to go, it adds it to hand, you play it, and then you get all your stuff from land. You, you just go and you race and it's fun, whatever like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then to take it one step further, for example, my favorite deck, Cubics, I normal summon Dooza and I hope for the best. <laughs> that is usually my game plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really great example of something that is extremely normal summon reliant, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, Cubics can bounce around with some special tricks, but it's it's tough, really hard to, to play around that first like negation. So if you are able to play like effect veiler or something like that mm -hmm. you'd um, kill me right our, there yeah he'd be done he's like okay i will just have the 1600 uh body on the field and we'll call it a day <laughs> and, so, and that's what happens and that traditionally ends up being the difference between good decks and casual decks mm -hmm. casual decks traditionally you normal summon you do your stuff and you hope for the best Whereas with competitive decks, such as Rockets, you can special summon out the gate. You don't have to normal summon, right? And so thinking about things like that, it's really, really important to understand watching how your opponent starts their turn is incredibly important. Mason, do you have anything that you'd like to add about when it comes to starting a turn, that, something that you might be able to read off the jump? Um, those first few cards will give you the best idea of the kind of deck your opponent is playing. And so, like Zach pointed out, if they open Alistair, they normal sun, summon Alistair, you affect Valor, right? So the effects are negated on Alistair, but they throw down Invocation. 
And for some unholy reason, they pitched a uh, Shadal monster to the graveyard. <laughs> you uh, pretty much immediately know like, oh man, this is going to be like, I'm going to be probably facing down like Winda and, and uh, facing a very control-based strategy. Mm-hmm. If you're playing against Elbitch, are they setting all of their cards? Yep, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Like you, you start understanding. Okay, the natural weakness of this deck is going to be likely uh, whatever that back row. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if I can break whatever that back row mm-hmm. is. Now it makes a lot of sense that you're paying attention to how a player starts their turn, but of course that's not the only time you need to be paying attention, right? We're not here to read cards, <laughs> read cards. So we just need to know what. Or chords. I don't read either of them. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, musicians. Um, <laughs> in either case, like you, you're you're reading what your opponent is doing the whole time, right? If you are looking at this with a competitive mindset, you are paying attention to everything, including the cards they add to hand. Can you talk a little bit more about that one? Man, I'd love to. So, within the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, every time somebody adds a card to hand, not just by drawing, right? If they draw it, that's different. But if it says add a card to hand or whatever like that, then they have to go and reveal it to you for just a moment. Sometimes the cards that are revealed can be key in telling you what kind of deck they are probably playing, right? So some of the Mathmet cards as an example, okay? The Mathmet cards, you can go and special summon them, excellent cards, or some of them, you add them to hand first, then you special summon from hand or something like that. Mason, please correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Now, with that being the case, you have to go and say, okay, I'm seeing a lot of cybers. Say they start with Lady Debug or Flame Buffalo, and they start going to going into the Mathmech part of the combo. Then they would go and add that and say, huh, this might just be a cybers collaboration. And one of the decks most closely suited for that has to be Code, uh, code Talker. All right. Salomon Gray, even though it's cybers, is very, very much. Oh, what's the word for it? An archetype? It's insulated. It's insulated. Yeah. Xenophobic. <laughs> Shut up, Mason. <laughs> That's what I hear, man. Is that the word? That's what I hear. Like, whenever you think about Abyss Actor, like, you call it uh, xenophobic if the, oh, if the card has a restriction that limits you to the, the set of cards in the archetype. That makes sense. Okay. But yeah, yeah that, you're that saying it's not that Salamangrate is xenophobic, it's that they are. Uh, <laughs> But all of them, like, say, strategy like, you can get in, a, f- yeah. yeah, you can get a flame cybers monster or whatever like that. And it's like, okay, there's only one set of those. <laughs> now, to keep going, if you go and pay attention, you can say, okay, I can tell that this card, this card, this card, and this card in their hand is whatever particular card that it is. Okay. Now, something like that, like that when you are watching, as they use their resources, they might only have two cards in hand, but you're like, I saw both of those cards get added to hand earlier during the turn. Mm-hmm. That way you can identify what's going on in their hand. That way when you're rebuilding your board and you break theirs, you can say, that's fine, that's not a big deal because now all of a sudden you can build your board specifically to challenge those two cards and they have to place their bet on one card that they draw out of an entire deck which can be anywhere from like 30 to 60 cards at that point yeah right so your chances go way up if you understand what you're building against because then you can stop their game plan yeah so adding the card uh helps you to find their uh importance cards if you will uh mm-hmm. you you understand kind of the choke points if you will 
um, mm-hmm. it gives you information on their follow-up as well. Uh, like you were kind of explaining, you know what you're going to have to deal with on the next turn if you're not going to be able to kill them. Exactly. And so, and then I guess just that last thing, you know, we have to understand that Yu-Gi-Oh's biggest resource is the card themselves, the cards themselves. Mm-hmm. That sounds almost obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But specifically what we mean is card advantage. Mason, could you speak on that just a little? Yeah, the idea is that you always have more cards either in your control or in your hand than your opponent, right? Um, the best decks that are in the format, uh, let's look at Dragon Link, right? They'll have like probably five different uh monsters on board or like four realistically and then like Mm -hmm. a field spell maybe a trap or something uh if they've got the chambermate or uh uh dragon no dragon Dragon uh, yeah 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 yeah. that's the one chamber dragon made yes um yep and so realistically you kind of know what you have to beat but the problem is that they've also been adding cards back to hand. If you manage to break through their board, they're ready to do this thing all over again because every single card Mm -hmm. does the exact same thing in the deck in as much as it's just continuing to accrue advantage, right? Um, On the other hand, if you have decks like Abyss Actor, um, (laughs) if you like, I don't know, Solemn Strike, their Pendulum Summon, they're done. They, like, they have nothing no other else. <laughs> you know, they have the top draw and whatever didn't make it onto the field. Like realistically, yeah. they, they don't have a lot. And so with card advantage, it's making sure that you are ma- managing your resources well at the end of the day. Yeah. And a lot of today's game of Yu-Gi-Oh, like some people are drawn to other games such as Magic the Gathering or Pokemon strictly because it feels like the card advantage is worth more, mm-hmm. right? Within the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, we live by one card starters just about. And so we almost live by the heart of the cards in that fashion, right? Like if I'm a rocket player, my entire board gets cleared, then I better like, obviously there's like 15, 15 or 18 starters in the deck. But if I specifically go and draw like quick launch, now I don't even have to normal summon. Like that would be my favorite draw close to the end of the game if I have to redo everything. And so- knowing that we can create card advantage and if you're playing dual links and you play with card advantage you'll win more, most of your games yeah um let's continue a little bit mason there's one more point that we want to talk about real quick and that is board setup like watching how your opponent likes to set up their board and i think there ended up being a couple different paths that we could take with this mason could you start running us through some of these points yeah you got it so um the first one is uh, Zach wrote this up. I love it. It says the idea with board setup is that it has to do with building negation versus building resilience. Here's what that means. Um, this is a little bit more intentionally based around going first, right? Our first point up there with starting a turn has to do with going second. This one has a little more to, to do with going first. If you are going first, ideally you're trying to build, um, let's say you want to build negation, right? You want to find ways to disrupt your opponent, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But if it's built on resilience, it's how does your board stay intact and uh, essentially unaffected by what your opponent does 
And so that on your follow-up, you're able to uh, knock them out like that because your board didn't leave the field anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I think of right off the bat is, um, I mean, Madolce, right? Is the ultimate resilience board. Um, it's yep. so good whenever it gets to go off uh, and go first. Um, the fact that it, all of its monsters, like you build this loop, Zach, you're going to have to jump in here if I get it wrong. Um, <laughs> it builds this loop where if a card goes to the grave and would be shuffled back into the deck because most of the Medulce cards have that effect, it gets bounced mm-hmm. back to your hand, right? Talk yeah. about an infinite resource loop. It is insane. So if you're playing, uh, if you're playing Medulce, then you have Chateau in the field zone, which says that everything gets shuffled back. Right. And most of the Medulce monsters themselves, they say, when this card goes to the graveyard, shuffle it back. Right. But then uh, there's another one. I believe there's Salon and Ticket. Ticket, I th- believe, is the one that when it goes to grave, it says, when a card would be shuffled back into the deck, add it back to hand. Well, crap. Now Petting Sassor is the best starter in the deck. And so that and Mag- uh, Magellan. Now, when those go to the graveyard, it's like, okay, it's going to come back to hand because I've set up the rest of this board. So whenever Medulce players set up their board, their goal is to go and collectively end up making a wall of one card that says nothing can be targeted, another one that's like everything gets 500 plus attack, and another one that's like can't be destroyed or whatever like that just for no reason at all. Yeah, yeah. And so it sets up this, this wall that is incredibly difficult to break, mm-hmm. right? So it ends up doing so much. And then even when the stuff leaves the field, if you've set up your board the correct way, now everything's getting added back to hand. That way, when they run out of resources trying to get rid of your stuff, now you can just crack them back on the end of the turn. Yeah. And it on the next turn, rather. It's all like Medolce is a great deck and there is a good reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. But building negation, on the other hand, if if your opponent is building negation, right? They go into Appaloosa instead. That's one thing. But if they go mm-hmm. to create a lock, right? Melodious is another example. By doing this specific combo, you can end up where your opponent uh, and you, funny enough, cannot target your monsters with card effects. They can't be destroyed by card effect and they can't be destroyed by battle. So how do you get them off the field? It's actually pretty easy. You uh, you ash the, uh, the link monster. <laughs> It's such a bad deck. But the point is both of those build like resilience and then a lot of meta defining threats build negation, you know, or dragon link specifically has like five or six versions of negation, Mm -hmm. usually with a bad hand. Yeah. but (laughs) That's the horrifying part. And so Mm -hmm. whenever you see that, you're like, Oh, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. But what if they're going second, right? Um, Does the, like their process when they're going second build negation through your board like once they got rid of all yours um Mm -hmm. or i mean are they done do they not have a real follow-up and it's just dead monsters there right if they're ending on like a nightmare you're in pretty good shape oh you can get rid of that so fast yeah so i mean those are the questions you're looking for you're watching your opponent play okay is that monster just sticky or is it just um like hard to get over is it mm-hmm. um a real problem to me mm-hmm. and so yeah 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 there's stuff like a uh, grin maju uh gizmak orochi i believe is the name of it it just comes back constantly over and over 
for the cost of banishing stuff that you want to do anyway. Like, yeah, you have Grand Maju in hand. It's over. Yeah, and uh, one of my one of my friends plays Grand Maju like religiously. It's one of his favorite decks. And the funniest play is when he puts Grand Maju in defense mode at the end of a game. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! It's so funny, man. So. All that to say, these are some ways that you can try to read your opponent. That's what this is all about. That's why we were making jokes about therapy, everything like that. You're trying to read, what is my opponent doing? What are their actions telling me that can help me advance the game state, that can help me win the game, Yeah. right? That being the case, that's some of the ways that we have found so far that help us out as Yu-Gi-Oh players, even though if you've watched our streams, we're bad. Um, we are. And we, we're okay with that. It's okay. So... Hopefully we taught you guys a little something. Mason, what you got? I mean, I think that's it, Zach. Your board, uh, as far as Earth Machine, right, is not necessarily negation, but it is extremely resilient and uh, it pops everything under the right conditions, right? It does. So my goal, if I have to go first, which sucks as an Earth Machine player, uh, pilot probably is the better term, <laughs> not necessarily player because I'm not good, but one of my favorite plays is to land on one of the super dreadnought things that go has a 4,000 butt, which is incredibly hard to get over. And then I can activate as a quick effect anytime to have it unaffected by card effects for the rest of the turn. Yeah. Just insane. Just like, it's really, really difficult to get over that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Problem is though, is that quite a few decks do get over it really really well a lot of the decks have very specific ways to do it yeah for sure but uh so i mean that's earth machine on a very basic level and then s force um it it's a kind of negation surprisingly um it's not like super extra deck focused but it is uh its negation is more the disruption route um and then being able to lock down your opponent like that which is pretty okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. So all that to say, we're going to get, I think really, really soon, we're going to have the opportunity to go and really go in deep with our decks. And we're going to actually, we should be able to play reasonably soon, I think. I think we will. I think we will. I hope you're ready. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, guys, thank you so much for checking us out on the Duelist 101 podcast. We really love uh, knowing that there are people out there that care enough to listen to some really bad opinions and some uh, <laughs> adequate advice. So thank you guys so much, Zach. Anything to say to our listeners? Highly appreciate you guys. Follow us on our socials and over on Twitch. We are on all of them. We'll go and post links to that in the descriptions of whatever medium that you are listening slash watching this on. And thank you guys again. Highly appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Absolutely. Go be great. I got it.